talking all things training, sport performance, and business, and covering the most important topics to enhance your training and better your career. I'm your host, Jared Filippo, and this is Muscles and Management brought to you by Challenger Strength, where we build your body and your business. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 14 of the Muscles and Management podcast. Uh, before we get started today, just the usual uh, items on the agenda. Uh, please review, um, subscribe, etc. Uh, share if you are enjoying the podcast. Um, you know, decent growth so far. I'm thinking some people are liking it, and uh, I'm enjoying doing them. So, um, you know, I want to keep going with this. Uh, I'm kind of. I can't believe it's already 14 episodes in. It's going pretty quite, uh, fast. Excuse me. Uh, so if you do enjoy it, please share. Uh, I want to get this out to as many people as possible, as I always say. Um, so appreciate that. Um, happy opening week uh, of MLB baseball. Um, officially opening day was, so let's see, this is Saturday. So uh, two days ago, uh, my Yankees opened up with a nice W uh, against the pitiful Orioles. I would hope we would win uh, and, and beat them. They're, they're a glorified AAA team at this point. Um you know, my man Luke Voigt and a moonshot to dead center. Uh, Judge and Stanton taking some balls the other way. Uh, and that's not easy to do, folks. Uh, just because they did it one game, let's just not see everyone saying, oh, hit it the other way. Uh, you know, they're shifting you. Just slap it the other way. Kind of hard to do when guys are throwing 95-plus with, you know, curveballs and sliders that are falling off the table. But um, I'll avoid that rant for now. Let's just be happy we got a nice W. They're back on. Uh, the field today against the Orioles at uh, 1 o'clock, so I should be watching that soon, so looking forward to that. And uh, always good to see my man Chris Sale and the Red Sox get shellacked opening day. Uh, he got worked by the Mariners, Encarnacion hit a bomb off of him. Um, I never wish these things on anybody, like I hope everyone does well, but he's someone that I did steer away from in my fantasy baseball league, um, and I had told one of the other managers in the league that I uh, predict uh, a fall-off for him just off of what I saw last year post-All-Star break, um, his his lengthier frame, and uh, and he's, you know, over the age of 30 now. So we'll see. Um, you know, we'll see where that goes from there. Uh, speaking of which, um, my 2019 fantasy baseball team I picked on Wednesday, I do know I have a lot of uh, baseball listeners to this podcast, so I kind of wanted to share about that a little bit. Um, this is a 16-team league, so a lot of teams. Uh, I've been in it for this going on the sixth year. And uh, we get five keepers, so you can either keep nobody, you can keep one person, two, up to five, whatever you want, and you lose the um, subsequent amount of draft picks uh, for how many guys you keep. So um, if you keep five guys, you lose your first five uh, picks, like your first five rounds. So I kept five. I finished third overall in the league in the regular season last year, so I had a pretty solid squad. Um, I-, I picked up... Uh, Trevor Bauer and uh, Garrett Cole and Jacob DeGrom much later uh, in, in the draft than you would imagine considering the seasons they had last year. Um, you know, obviously I follow a lot of what Trevor does with driveline, um, and he had a, a stellar uh, offseason, and I love what he was doing with his uh, repertoire of his pitches and all that kind of stuff. So he was someone that was a no-brainer for me to pick. I was anticipating a very big year for him last year, especially how he finished 2017. He delivered, so I kept him, DeGrom, Obviously, out of this world, uh, Garrett Cole, uh, you know, right behind him, doing very well in Houston. Um, so I kept the three of them. Cole's in a contract here especially, so I figure he's going to be even nastier this year. Um, and then in the um, in my lineup, in my, my order, uh, I kept uh, Javi Paez, um, runner-up in the MVP race in the National League, steal some bases, hits for power, 
Um, and, you know, some people are writing him off that, you know, that was kind of like an aberration. Who's He's not going to do the same thing this year. Opening day, two bombs. So, kept him. Um, and then I kept Castellanos from the uh, Tigers last year, 300, almost 30 home runs. Um, you know, figuring those five guys would go uh, probably in the top three rounds if they were available. So, the fact that I got to keep them and only lose a fourth and fifth round pick for the last two guys, however you want to order them. Uh, it's pretty huge. So excited for that team this year. Um, I will keep you guys posted on how we do. Uh, and one more thing before I get into a couple questions. Um, next week's guest, uh, excited to have TJ Ward on. Uh, TJ was a three-year starter at University of Hartford in Connecticut, Division One in the uh, American, American Conference, A-10, I think. Um, and uh, I've known TJ since he was in high school. Um, his uncle was my, my coach uh, one of my years when I played in high school, and he was a couple of years younger than me, so I'd heard about him back then. He had a very solid career at uh, St. Peter's Prep in Jersey City, New Jersey. Um, you know, went out to Hartford, had a very, very nice career at Hartford. They won the conference his senior year. Uh, I want to say he hit over 300, or easily over 300, I'm pretty sure. Um, and he kind of transitioned himself from a middle of the infield uh bit of a lankier guy and following some knee surgeries he, he added some uh, strength and bulk on and became a corner infield guy who could hit for some power um, he's going out to Michigan at the end of April um, to play in the USPBL independent league um, and I want to have him on you know a lot of topics and a lot of talk today about uh, pay for minor leaguers guys in the indie ball circuit um, you know the, what, what their life is like he's currently training with me he has been um, since January, uh, that's been awesome. He's, he's seeing a lot of good results, um, and he's he's hitting really well. He did very well in uh, February in the California Winter League for independent ball guys trying to get signed uh, to affiliate contracts. Um, you know, so he's doing his thing. Uh, I'm hoping he gets noticed and gets picked up soon. He really deserves the opportunity. So excited to have him on. Talk about training, what we've done, what's helped him, the life of a you know aspiring affiliate. Uh, player, but, uh, you know, a guy going through college into the indie ball scene. He's also uh, the hitting coach at Ramapo College. Uh, it's a D3, a very, very good D3 program um, in New Jersey. So he's doing that on the side. Uh, you know, so funny enough, he's doing his own workout, still getting ready for his chance while he's coaching these guys. So I'm giving him some lifts while he's away at games and he's doing them on the field. So it's a pretty cool story um, that I want to get into. So I'm excited to have him on next week. And uh, without further ado, a couple questions uh, that I received over the last couple weeks that I wanted to answer. First one was pretty general. Uh, well, he was very specific in his question. gave a lot of stats about um, you know what his deadlift was and uh, his vertical and his power numbers, etc. Um, following a medicine ball post that I put up earlier, um, and basically asked me you know what my favorite med ball uh, activities or, or exercises were um, to build overall power and rotational power. So I posted a program a few months ago on uh, you know a basic um, you know power program uh, rotational power program, but I wanted to kind of get into um, how I look at building rotational power with medicine ball training. Um, keep it brief, keep it simple, but basically uh, how we progress through um, rotational uh, power development is obviously first and foremost. Um, we do not want to neglect general core stability, um, whether it's anti-extension specifically like with a plank or um, with a farmer's walk or, or just any kind of bracing activity. But in addition to that, um, our anti-rotational stability as well. So um, we're talking about, um, you know, a pal-off press, uh, 
you know, anything where we're resisting the desire for uh, a force to pull us um, into rotation, right? So that's super important. I've detailed that before. Now, and, and guys, forgive me, there's a little music out in the rink right now. Uh, it should be off pretty soon, but it gets pretty loud. I'm um, hoping in a couple minutes it's off before, when the game gets going. Um, so basically how we progress through rotational med ball exercises. Um, I like to keep rotational med ball work strictly to rotation at first. So when I say strictly to rotation, I'm saying like no weight transfer, none of that. Um, it's just strict T-spine and hip rotation. So um, think of like how you would swing a sledgehammer. We do that with a medicine ball or a sledgehammer if we have one. Um, a regular rotational throw where your feet are stationary and you're just kind of getting it off your hip and driving to rotation as fast as possible. From there we move into a ro rotation with weight shift. So um, that could be a figure eight medicine ball slam where you're kind of rocking back and forth to cue weight shift laterally. Um, that could be a, uh, a regular rotational throw where you're picking up your front foot, placing it down and then throwing, uh, picking up the front leg as you uh, shift weight onto your back leg, which forces you to shift weight onto your front side. So. That would be the next progression, and then step through, kind of be tying it all together into, into one uh, fast, very uh, forceful movement. So that could be a rotational throw with a, ah, there goes the buzzer, so that music should be stopping soon, thankfully. Um, getting pretty agitated about it. Um, so just bear with me on that, guys. I'm trying to be loud so you can hear me. Uh, kind of the pitfalls of recording in my gym, which happens to be overlooking an ice rink. Anyway. Part three, as I said, uh, blending those phases together. Um, this could be a counter movement, such as uh, a hop on one leg into your shot put medicine ball throw. Basically, um, you know, for one, you're doing the hop, so that's kind of like enhancing the power through ground force and counter movements, but also forcing you into uh, weight shift and rotational, um, the rotational component into one. So it's kind of blending it all together into one high power ballistic movement. So that's the three step process that I like to take uh, to developing um, rotational power uh, with medicine balls. Those are some exercises that I would recommend. Um, your regular rotational slam, figure eight, or you're picking your front foot up and cueing the weight shift. And then once you're done with that, um, you can go into like a one pogo jump into a shot put throw, two pogo jumps, whatever you uh, you know want to do with that. Uh, the next question I had, um, I posted a tweet about something uh, related to, I saw someone, a trainer, post about a get abs class. Uh, just very gimmicky, a lot of crunches, this, that, and the other thing. And I said to myself, and this is part of the tweet, me trying to like joke around a little bit, was, um, and the music's off now, by the way, so thanks for patience. Um, basically, I was like, oh, get an abs, get abs class. I wonder if this trainer's going to tell all the, um, the clients to, that they need to uh, be on a pretty strict calorie deficit in order to burn fat so they can, you know, have abs in the first place. Uh, being sarcastic and someone sent me um, my tweet uh, a young man who follows me saying you know is the calorie deficit the single most important thing uh, to losing weight and I will say this um, think of the calories you take in and the energy you put out etc as like you know the, the ongoing um, relationship of putting gas in your car and then driving and then using it um, essentially we need to fuel ourselves adequately based on what we're using. So if you put too much gas in a car that's not driving enough, what does it do? It overflows. Think of your calories that way. And if you don't put enough gas in and you drive it a lot, it, it, it goes to empty and then it has no energy to keep going. So um, 
bottom line is the less more calories in than you burn is a surplus and you'll gain weight if you're looking to do that. Um, and if you're not looking to, that's a way to get fat, quote unquote. Um, and if you take in less than you burn, uh, you will be in what's called a deficit and that's where you can burn fat or lose weight. So if you're looking to do that or if you're an athlete that's trying to gain weight and you can't, look at that. Like you're probably not eating enough. Um, nutrient, I'm not going to get into this, I'm not a nutritionist, but like the, the nutrient quality of your foods, the timing of when you eat them, that stuff all adds up to the specifics and like the really tailored approach to it. But at the end of the day, losing weight or burning fat, yes, is very predicated on calorie restriction. So it's if you could eat the cleanest food in the world, but if you're eating too much of it, you're probably not going to lose weight. Like if you're eating, if, if you're counting calories, you could eat turkey breast, uh, chicken breast, fish, vegetables, fruit, whatever you want. And if you're eating 5,000 calories of it and your maintenance level is 3,200, you're gaining weight. On the other hand, and I'm not saying this, this is very bad for you to do, but you could go eat McDonald's and Snickers bars all day. If your maintenance level is 3,200 and you eat 2,200 calories worth of McDonald's and Snickers, you're going to lose some weight. Is it that healthy for you? I'm not saying that at all, but you're going to lose some weight because you're in a calorie deficit. You might feel kind of crappy and shitty um, and your energy levels might be down because of the quality of the food is poor, but like you're going to lose some weight. So... Above all else, calorie deficit is king in terms of the old, what comes in, what goes out in terms of losing or gaining, but uh, do pay attention to those smaller details as athletes or performance uh, you know, athletes or just people in general for energy levels, feeling good, um, joint health, all that kind of stuff. Like What you take in can help a little bit. Um, I, I'm not saying that if you have sugar, it's going to like ruin your life or that processed food is going to ruin your life, but... If you are one of those people, yes, you can totally focus on that, but be mindful of what you're taking in um, in terms of being in a deficit or a surplus. So before I ramble on uh, any more with that, uh, time to kind of get into the topic of today's show, and not kind of get into, time to very much so get into the topic of today's show, uh, contrast training, how it can help build elite speed, power, and explosiveness. So before we get into that, what is contrast training, right? So Let's read an official Google definition of contrast training. I like to do this. I kind of like to see um, if you were a listener or a person, uh, an ath- young athlete looking for things like this, and you just simply Googled something that we were discussing or something that you saw, and what would come up? Like, it's interesting. So it's kind of like the thing I want to get into. Uh, let's look from now on, uh, and I've been doing this last few weeks. What does Google say about uh, this topic, contrast training? So official Google definition. Contrast training refers to a type of resistance training that alternates the use of heavy and light load exercises in order to improve muscular power. In a nutshell, if you were to take that, you know, very uh, exact uh, and literal, uh, basically alternating between a heavy exercise and then going to one with less weight, right? But why does it work? Why should we do it? And how how in particular do we actually um, organize it to make it effective? Luckily for you guys, here's where I come in. So, um, essentially, contrast training uh, takes advantage of a phenomenon known as post-activation potentiation. Um, I'm going to refer to this by its acronym for the rest of the show to be less wordy, uh, PAP or PAP. Uh, This is the idea that uh, force exerted by a muscle is increased due to its previous contraction. So basically, uh, the, the history of muscle contraction previous to an explosive bout influences uh, mechanical performance of the subsequent muscle contraction. So think of it simply like this way, and it's just an example. Um, 
you do a uh, heavy sled push, and you know you do a couple uh, seconds of heavy sled pushing, and now your muscles are heightened, and um, the you know the contractual history of that uh, higher uh, force activity kind of excites the muscles and gets them ready uh, for the next output. So think of going in from that heavy sled push or pull into the sprint. So that the heavy one, and then you go to the unloaded. Right now. What's key here is you have to understand the type of activities that you can perform in like the quote unquote heavier activity to make this effective. And it doesn't have to just be heavy and I'm gonna get into that. Um, The first thing you wanna make sure though is that the contractions that you are performing or the activity you're performing before the the second part of the the contrast training pairing, um, you do not want it to totally fatigue. The goal is to not totally fatigue um, the muscle. Excuse me, taking a coffee drink. All right. Um, what I mean by that, no one's telling you to load six plates on each side of a sled and push it for 45 straight seconds because what you just did is, yeah, the, con- the contractile history of the muscles is they worked very hard and fired very hard to push that heavy load, but you fatigue them. You fatigue the shit out of them. You're over your hands and your knees. You're breathing heavy. You're fucking tired. Like what? You're gonna go sprint? No, not gonna work that way. You need to find a way to get them excited without totally fatiguing them. So first things first, and I've said this before on Twitter, but a little bit of an off-the-topic rant here on sled pushing. If you are training athletes or someone just trying to get their body generally stronger, putting 1,500 pounds or 3,000 plates on the sled and having a guy struggle and push it for 45 seconds, probably not very worthwhile. In sports, anaerobic windows... 12 to 15 seconds of max output. If your sled pushing is exceeding that window, it's not hitting that energy system. It's not very useful for the main energy system that drives um, sports performance and activity, right? So, with that being said, whether it's a sled, a bench press, um, a squat, excuse me, a deadlift, a loaded jump, whatever it is, you must not fatigue the muscle in the first heavy part of the pairing before the explosive part, or else it renders it useless. Now, with that being said, so what I mean by that, like, push the sled for like six seconds, maybe? Like, don't even use the whole anaerobic window? Like, let's, like I, I had a guy the other day do uh, resisted sled sprints, and the whole sled sprint took two seconds. It was two plates on each side, he pulled the damn thing, and it was 10 yards, and then he wasn't fatigued, and then he rested, and then he went and did a sprint. Boom. And have him, you know, dragging the sled across the uh, tri-state area and then going into a sprint. No, wrong way to do it. With that being said, the three different ways you can kind of um, work the first part of the pairing. Like I said, it doesn't have to necessarily be a heavy exercise. Here are the three ways you can go about it. So, as I said, no matter what you use, they have to be non-fatiguing contractions at high a high output. Right? So it's not so much the load that always dictates that, as we know. It can be a, a non-fatiguing contraction at a high load, um, so a heavy bench press, a heavy sled push, a heavy squat, or it can be a sub-maximal load, so let's say 45, 50, 55, 60% of your max, but the, um, the intent or the output is, is just as high or, or it's still max because it's a, a measured heightened velocity. So just because you're only using 50% of your uh, max squat uh, for your first contrast pairing instead of your heaviest squat, if you're moving it as fast as possible, you're still getting that desired effect. 
the last portion, that the last thing you can do um, is a submaximal uh, isometric contraction. So this might be uh, loading a trap bar, uh, an empty trap bar, and putting it against pins in like the middle of a deadlift range uh, of motion and just kind of holding and pulling for, you know, six, seven, eight seconds, whatever it is. Um, these are just examples, guys. Attention, not, attention. Excuse me, there's being an, there's an announcement being made on the... Uh, we just week. recently had a dog come into the building it is a large clown dog, looks like a Rhodesian Ridgeback. If anybody has lost a dog with this description, please come to the main office immediately. Thank you. You can't make this shit up, people, let me tell you. So, someone lost a dog here, and uh, <laughs> he came on the speaker in the gym, and I have no power of turning that off, unfortunately. So, yeah, someone lost a dog when they find it. Anyway, a submaximal isometric contraction. Um, you have an empty deadlift bar, you're pulling it into the pins uh, on the squat rack, and you're driving it as hard as you can, you're working uh, the muscles in that specific part of the range of motion, and then you're going to activity. It's an example, right? So those are the three, let's go over those again, uh, hopefully without a dog announcement this time. You have your uh, high load max contraction, your submaximal load at a max velocity, or your submaximal isometric contraction. Again, no matter which one of those that you're doing, they all have to be done to not fatigue the muscles. So max output, but only for a short burst to not totally fatigue the muscles. Um, another thing about the contrast training is that uh, a higher amount of type 2 fibers makes this training more effective. So that leads me to, it's a nice segue uh, into, you know, what type of athlete should be doing this. Um, I like to think of, you know, post or, uh, contrast training as something you build up to. So you're not going to take your 14 or 15 year old athlete who hasn't even done basic strength training and have them doing this right away for a few reasons. One, it's not going to benefit them as much because they're just not, their muscle fibers, if they don't have them um, based on their genetics and you haven't developed, uh, you know, more fast twitch or more force or velocity use in them um, through training, it's not going to be as effective. And the second thing is, uh, you don't want to throw this at them all at once when they just start out because then you're going to have nothing to progress to uh, later on uh, down the line. Another drink break, excuse me. Um, you know, think of it, uh, one of my mentors, Joe DeFranco, has a great uh, analogy. Using advanced training techniques with uh, a younger athlete or, or an athlete with a low training age who doesn't necessarily need them yet is like uh, taking a machine gun out to uh, kill a mosquito. You're, you don't need to do that. Um, it's just overboard and it's unnecessary and um, it's going to just lead to trouble down the line because if they're with you for four, five, six years and now they're you know, a college athlete who needs to make that next push or whatever it may be, you don't have another advanced um, method or something that they haven't been exposed to to kind of give to them to get them to that next level. So two reasons. One, they're not ready for it yet. They don't have enough type 2 fibers either in their natural genetics or they haven't developed them uh, some more uh, explosiveness or velocity use through their training. And on top of that, you'll have nothing to build them up to when they actually do need something more advanced to get them to the next level when they're a little more, uh, a couple more years in to their training. <clears throat> um, so basically, you know, in addition to that type 2 fiber making it more effective, as we know, it's also greater in muscles with shortened twitch contraction time. So, um, you, you know, you're looking if an athlete is a slow runner and they don't they have a low vertical and their velocity uh, and their their elasticity is low. It, there's really no point to it because it's only going to be productive to them 
um, going into like let's just say for the use of this argument, um, you were doing a sled sprint into a, resist, a resisted sled sprint into a regular sprint, um, and their regular sprint doesn't have enough elastic qualities to it and enough um, velocity output in general. It's really not going to do much for them. Um, so, so moral of the story is either save it for athletes that have worked up to handle it, or um, you know save it for the athlete that is just. Uh, genetically gifted with those type 2 fibers but either way um, their their speed portion or the second part of the contrast pairing if they're not doing those activities um, with muscles that are firing rapidly and and have you know quick twitch to them um, then it's pretty useless so now that you kind of have an idea of the contrast pairing we're going either at a heavy activity um, a high load a sub-maximal load at max velocity or an isometric contraction um, working those at max output uh, only for a few seconds so we don't fatigue the muscles and then moving on to an unloaded activity um, that coincides with the uh, one that uh, preceded it. So what I mean by that, and I'll explain this in my favorite pairings and recommendations uh, you know, with that, um, you know, don't put, you're, like, you wouldn't put a squat with a, um, uh, a squat with a plyo push-up. Like it's two opposite body parts. The whole point of this is um, to target the muscle groups that you're looking to hit with the contrast set and uh, use that uh, similar range of motion in the resisted pairing and then kind of like take the uh, the weight away and, and go into the unloaded portion of it. So um, I mentioned sled sprints and uh, regular sprints as a pairing right away. That's one of my favorite pairings, so I'll name that one first. Um, I had an athlete in here the other day who basically put around like 65% of his body weight on the sled. He pulled it for 10 yards and then he rested and then we did an unresisted sprint. Um, and now I say he rested, right? So that brings me uh, to a good good point here before I get into my favorite pairings. Um, not everyone is the same, so like I can't say there's a, a specific amount of time you should be resting for this. Um, I'm not going to recommend that. You know, one size doesn't fit all. But I guess the the best way to figure that out is to kind of see how much rest uh, works the best or is the most optimal between exercises. So if you have an athlete and um, you're having them do a squat uh, and then they're going into a vertical jump and you see that after 45 or uh, 15 or 20 seconds rest, his vertical is a 25, but then he rests for a minute and it's a 27, then maybe he's better off with slightly more rest. Like that's an example of how you can kind of play around with it. Um, I've had some athletes do very well with 30 seconds of rest, and I've had some that need one minute. So it's kind of unique to each individual. Um, play around with it and see what kind of you know gives them the best um, output in the unresisted activity. So that's my advice with that. Um, you are not fully fatiguing the muscles, as I said, in the uh, first part of the pairing. So full recovery between the uh, first part of the pairing and the second isn't necessary. Uh, you want to keep it low enough that you can actually capitalize on the heightened muscle contractions from the uh, resisted activity. So make sure that you're not having someone perform the resisted portion and then rest for five minutes. It's going to totally um, totally get rid of the entire point of and the premise of doing it. Uh, that's something that you want to keep in mind. The other thing is make sure you have full rest between um, sets of the pairing. So you do your two exercises and you need full you do your, your resisted exercise, your unresisted, full rest. This is max output training. This isn't designed to make you huff and puff and sweat and, and drip through your shirt. Um, this is only useful if it's done with full power, uh, full speed capabilities, and max energy or recovery. So 
uh, four to five minutes at least or whatever warrants full recovery for you. You've got to make sure you give your body um, the necessary time needed um, to make sure that it can perform the next set and the, and the subsequent sets with max energy and max speed and power output. So super important. So a little review. Not looking to recover fully between between the two uh, pairing 1A and pairing 1B, so like the resisted and the unresisted, you do not need full recovery. Play that by ear. Go off of what the athlete needs specifically and what works best for them. Play around with it. Um, I said, you know, I do like to say that 30 seconds to a minute is a, is a window that I found is pretty successful. Um, but kind of just see where the athlete fits in that range. And then make sure between, you know, after you do 1A and 1B together, the rest you take before you go to 1A again is full recovery. Got to make sure the athlete is fully recovered and ready to put max output into that 1A for it to be super effective. Like, this is got to be full recovery, full reset, ready to go into the next set or it is useless. Now, with that being said, so you kind of have the idea of what the contrast training is itself, um, how I recommend resting um, for the two different times you will be resting, and then uh, here are some of my favorite pairings. So some stuff that I like and uh, that I've had success with. Um, we'll st- we are, I already mentioned, I'm going to start with this one since I already mentioned it, the sprint speed. Um, to me, nothing really beats a resisted sled sprint and an unloaded sprint. And the reason I say that is because that's as close as you're going to get um, to having the, the pairings be like identical in terms of the movement patterns because it's literally a sprint in both, uh, in both phases. Um, so I love it for that reason. And in addition, the resisted sled sprint, especially if you're working on acceleration with your athlete, um, the resisted sled sprint is going to really force them to be put into that proper acceleration position, uh, that nice 45-degree shin angle, positive shin angle, the torso. Um, when pulling a, when pulling a load, like a sled like that, you it forces you to get into that position. It forces you to drive through your toe. Um, if you don't do all those things, get your weight in front of your ankle and all that kind of stuff, you're not going to really be able to pull the load. So um, that's another reason I love it. But above all else, like you're going in from one from a sprint right into the same sprint. You're just changing the load on each. So you're heightening the muscles and activating everything um, with the resistance sprint, and then you're kind of just taking the shackles off, so to speak, and you're letting the uh, the athlete run at full speed. So that's why I love those, and you can't beat those. Um, my favorite pairing for uh, pressing power uh, would have to be either any kind of heavy press. So you could do a kneeling sled press, you could do a bar- regular barbell bench, um, or you can do a more dynamic effort barbell bench with um, bands or chains if you're advanced enough for that, and if it's something that you're working towards, um, you know, 55, 45, 50, 55% uh, on the bar, move it as fast as possible, and then right into a plyo push-up. So you're, you know, you're using an activity that's requiring more force, and then you're totally Getting, you're going totally velocity. So the plyo push-up itself and the, uh, the impact of the ground forces when you're dropping off into the push-up makes that push-up extremely elastic. So you're getting that nice pairing there for uh, pressing power. My guys uh, typically love uh, that pairing for their pressing strength. And, and I, I would like this for baseball players as well. Um, I do think overall uh, pressing power is huge and uh, can have a real good impact uh, for them. Uh, sprint speed, pressing power, jumping contrast pairings. So my favorite jump pairing that I have to say is um, a squat or a deadlift or a loaded jump variation uh, followed with a depth jump into a box jump. And the reason why, obviously the squat, deadlift, or loaded jump is, is putting a little bit of uh, a load onto uh, you know a triple extension activity 
Um, and yet again, like I said, you can either go heavy with the squat or deadlift or dynamic effort method, uh, depending on where, where, what works best for you. Um, I do like that because um, you know, you're keeping it basic, you're just working resistance or triple extension. And then the reason I say depth jump to box jump is because, like I said with the plyo push-up, the depth jump prior to the box jump is increasing the elastic demands of the box jump and making it even more reactive and more towards the velocity side of the curve. So um, you want to kind of separate the two um, activities in the pairing on the force velocity curve as much as you possibly can. Uh, I think that's like I've had the most success with that. And if you do decide to do just a regular vertical jump after the uh, squat, deadlift, or loaded jump, uh, and you have a way of measuring it, I think that's a good way to kind of see uh, what rest time is optimal for the athlete. And my last one, I know I have a lot of uh, baseball followers. My last one would be uh, rotational power pairing, my favorite one with that. Um, I did this yesterday. I had a post on this. A landmine rotational press into uh, a shot put med ball throw. Um, so yesterday we worked two reps per side on the rotational landmine press uh, at 55% of the athlete's max. They did two each side as fast as they could. They rested a minute, or he rested a minute, and then he went into a double pogo. Um, so I'm talking, you know, right leg if he was on his right side for the throw. He would, he'd be on his right leg, one hop, two hop, quick, and explode through the throw as fast as he can, as forceful as he can. Um, again, the two hops are to really increase the elastic component. Uh, to the throw, like I said, I do find that you know moving that second part of the pairing as far down to the velocity side of the curve as possible makes it even more effective um, and, and differentiates it from the first part of the pairing as much as you can. So um, those are some basics of my favorite pairings. A little bit of a review. Make sure rest isn't too long to uh, rid of the benefit of the um, the activity. Uh, for the first part of the pairing, the resisted activity, make sure it's not too long, uh, and then kind of tinker with it and find out what works best for the athlete and what gives them the best uh, bang for the buck, so to speak, in their output in the second part of the activity. Um, and then overall rest between your full pairing, um, you know, you want full recovery. So four, five, six minutes, whatever gets, you know, full recovery. Make sure that the athlete's in a position where they have the ability uh, to, to put max uh, output into uh, the pairings themselves uh, from set to set. Um, so that's kind of it with that. As I mentioned, super excited to get TJ Ward on the podcast next week, kind of get an uh, in-depth look at the life of an independent ball player, uh, someone who's been through college and is also coaching at the D3 level while he's making uh, his strides for his career. So I really look forward to having him on next week. I think that'll be great. Uh, as always, thank you for listening, and I will talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Muscles and Management Podcast, brought to you by Challenger Strength. I'm your host, Jerry Filippo, helping you build your body and your business.